the Roll for Initiative podcast, episode, I'm sorry, issue number 11. We are your host, DM Vincent, DM Jason, and DM Nick. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing fantastic. How are you doing? <laughs> We're doing really good. I think we need a new question at the beginning of the show is what it is, because I don't have an answer for how I'm doing. How I'm doing, I'm, I'm on a podcast. How are you doing? <laughs> well, as usual, we're doing fine, so, you know. Yeah. Fantabulous. We have a wonderful action-packed show for you tonight. Uh, what do we got on the plate for tonight? Oh, my uh, gosh. More more stuff that you can shake a wand of wonder at. Uh, <laughs> well, we're in March, so what does that mean? Gary Khan. That's right. Yeah, this, this was the big weekend that all of us missed. Yeah. I want to go next year really bad. Yeah. We'll definitely be at next year's Gary Khan. Um, we're looking forward to um, hopefully getting... Uh, some people that went calling in, letting us know how it was. Right. Uh, so maybe we'll have something like that for next week. Um, if anybody uh, is listening right now that was at Gary Con and wants to submit a little report, you know, please do. Yeah, uh, that would be awesome. On our vo- you could you could leave something on our voicemail, but I think that only takes about a minute and a half of total. Yeah. So maybe uh, drop us an email, and we could arrange some way to get a longer uh, voice from you. And speaking about voicemail, you can dial us directly, 206-279-3272, and just leave your wonderful voicemail message. Don't forget to leave your name and email address so we can contact you back. Or hit us an email letting us know you left a voicemail. Or yeah. you can do uh, Jason's, uh, uh, was it Google Mail? Google Voicemail? Yeah, you can. so you can just call that number that, that uh, Vince just said, or... Uh, if you don't want to make a long-distance phone call, you can go to our website, and this little button you can click for it to call you. Uh, but either way, like Vince is saying, we've only got, uh, you know, it's a voicemail, so you can't leave a really long thing on there. So kind of think about what you want to say ahead of time. Try to keep it brief. Uh, you've got about 90 seconds to do it. Um, but please do, yeah. because it's a lot of fun having calls to play on the air. Yep, absolutely. And when we were just talking about GaryCon, I was looking through their schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh just the gr- the guest that they're having there is like had yeah, or had yeah it just got done today uh, yep. and you got James Ward Tom Wham Frank Metzer Rob Tim Cask Tim Cask uh, lots of old school gaming there I know uh, uh, Metzer was uh, he was running to the Eight of Falks which was one of his um. One of a series that he did way back in the days of uh, the RPGA, it was only it was exclusively through the RPGA when they actually uh, uh, sold it through them. And uh, they have another adventure called Escape from Castle Greyhawk. So just lots of cool stuff that was going on, and I wanted to go so bad. What was the Escape from Castle Greyhawk? Was that anything like the uh, Tower of Gygax? Um, you know, I'm looking at the description here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I can't find it. Darn it. Well, I mean, uh, Castle Greyhawk was, you know, no, not, it's nothing like it's nothing like the lame parody that was done later on. 
No, 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 no. I don't mean that. I mean actually the original Castle Greyhawk before Greyhawk right. was city and before it was uh, Campaign Milieu, it was just a castle. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite so sure. I think this is like someone's take on it, on what huh. you know, what hmm. Castle Greyhawk could have been. So okay, well, hopefully somebody can uh, let us know because I know there's a whole history around that about people going back and doing things with it later, and yeah. uh, I know Gary Gygax had talked about it quite a few times as well. So um, I saw Kenzer and Kenzer Co had a booth there. Yep, Kenzer Co was there. I know they were running. Um, Hackmaster Basic there, the new version of Hackmaster. They're mm-hmm. running that. Probably uh, Aces and Eights. Uh, their, uh, ni- their new uh, Western RPG as well. So, oh, cool. Yeah, hmm. it's very good. Yeah, somebody so, put up a whole bunch of photos already tonight on the Dragon's Foot forums from GaryCon. Oh, really? Excellent. Yeah, so you can actually see that. I, I, I didn't leave them up on my browser, so unfortunately I can't give a proper shout-out but um, I'll link to the Dragon's Foot forums from our site and you know mm-hmm. all that stuff. But there was some great things. But there was a picture there that actually really touched me. Um, I mean, oh. this is—it's a fun thing. But uh, this one, they had—I didn't know because I haven't been before. But they had a a picture of the Table of Honor, mm-hmm. and it just has a empty seat and a dungeon master screen, and there's a sign on it that says. This table is held vacant in honor of E. Gary Gygax, the first dungeon master and the father of role-playing games. Present are a few of Gary's personal possessions that were always near his gaming table. That is awesome. That's that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So I hope I hope that's a, a permanent tradition because I just thought that was great. Yeah, I that's also very cool. I think that's awesome. I also think it's nice that he was on the Dragon's Foot forums for all that time answering all those questions and we were that close to him as far as being on the forums and being yeah. able to like see his responses right away. So Yeah, he was he really started to come in to when this old school renaissance was kinda of coming about just in the past few years, he really uh it seemed like he latched on to it and um it's you know, he will be sorely missed, but he's his legacy obviously lives on. I mean, it's something that we're really lucky about as gamers is that we, that our hobby is one that the people who created it are have always been very accessible, have always been there to to talk to each other, and have always kind of kept the idea that it's all about fun. So whether yeah. it was all those times that, that Gary Gygax was on the forums and being really accessible to people, uh, you know, or people now, you know, like Frank Mentz, Mentzer and uh, uh, and others, you know, showing up all the time, um, you know, or Luke Gygax, you know, Gary's son yep. running the thing. It's just, it, it really, it's it's good that it it never, well, I would say it never did, but it it hasn't turned into something that just feels like, uh, you know, the the, the the people on high that they can't come down and talk to. It's always been a community, and I really appreciate that. It's what makes it fun for me. Definitely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you want to listen to our show and see what, how things went in the past, our past issues, you can check us out, rfipodcast.com, where you can contact our, our sorry guys, rfistaff at gmail.com is our email address. Or if you're at work and don't have an iPod or you can access Facebook, just check us out, Roll for Initiative Podcast, and we're a little growing community there. You can listen to all the shows on Facebook, even if you Absolutely. don't. Absolutely. Even if you don't. Um, speaking of links. Oh, what do we have? Um, 
I would like to put a little special thank you out to uh, someone uh, that. Oh, uh, thanks, Nick. Oh, not just you. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's the Jason, then, right? Sure. I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a blog out there called Grognardia. Uh, and by James Mazalewski, he's out in Canada, and he's kind of like the, uh, the he's like the E.F. Hutton of the old school Renaissance going on. When you know when he talks, people listen. And I just wanted to say a special thank you to him for putting a link out on his blog to RFI podcast. Wow! So thank you very much, James. And hopefully, uh, you know, we you're you uh, putting a link out there. Will give us more listeners. Yeah, we definitely thank, thank you, James. Yes, thank you very much. Feature, feature, feature. So that's going to bring us into our feature of the tonight of the issue of poison. Now there was an ongoing topic in the forums at Dragon's Foot, Jason, that you were involved with regarding the issue of poison. You want to take a step in and lead us on that one? Okay, um, well, it wasn't the longest in the world, uh, but I thought it was really interesting. A, one of the forum members came in to ask about an article from Dragon Number 81. Mm. Uh, yep. It's an article called Taking the Sting Out of Poison by Chris Lancey. And he was just looking to see if anybody had uh, any knowledge of the article being updated later on, because what it has in it, among a whole lot of other things that we're going to talk about... Uh, it also had a really helpful table about uh, monster venoms because right, right. one of the ways that you can get poison is to extract it from a venomous monster. And it only addresses things in the monster manual. So he was wondering if anybody had uh, ever updated it for Fiend Folio or Monster Manual 2, uh, which they never did no. uh, because it was just it was just an article in Dragon Magazine. It was not quote-unquote official. It wasn't canonized or anything like that, so it didn't right. uh, become part of the actual rules. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because even though in gameplay, you know, just constant, you know, when you're going at it and you're trying to just get things done, you don't necessarily want to have an extra 20 tables to look up to get something done. Uh, but there's those times when you want to just know a little bit more or at least talk about what's actually going on behind the scenes, whether it's while you're constructing a campaign or, you know, whatever. So I thought it was just really interesting that he brought this article up and, mm. and that it would be worth a little bit of discussion uh, here on the show. So well, yeah. um, <laughs> okay. well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little bit of an overview of what we're looking at here. Um, yeah. the, the article was not the first one in Dragon Magazine ever to deal with poisons. Right. In fact, uh, the, 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 it's, it's a little bit of a lengthy article to begin with because uh, what Chris Lancey does is begin by uh, referring back to an earlier article by uh, Charles Segui, or Segui, I can't really read that, uh, Poison from AA to X, and yeah. saying, you know, here's what I did wrong, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it starts out feeling a little bit Talmudic, but then mm -hmm. it starts actually getting into the stuff. And what's good about this is. Uh, he he looks at the five different types of poison, yeah. um, so that's ingestive, uh, something you know that you drink or eat, uh, mm -hmm. insinuative, which is something that uh, has to be introduced into your body, such as being stabbed into your bloodstream, uh, contact poison, just getting on your skin, 
does something, poisonous gas, self-explanatory, and monster venom, and starts talking about, well, where does one get these things? How do you actually uh, acquire them? Who's allowed to acquire them? Uh, yeah. What is the on? I mean, how long does one of these take to begin taking effect? Which is a pretty pretty big, important question in gameplay. Okay, you've been poisoned. Did it just happen right away, or should there be a time period? Are there anecdotes? Antidotes, not anecdotes. Um, <laughs> uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I thought that this would be a, a good place to start in terms of how you guys have used poison in your games before, and if you've ever had any questions come up. Or, uh, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm going to guess that you've probably made some on-the-fly rulings before and kind of how you've done that. Mm-hmm. You want to uh, start on this one, Vince? Sure. I really haven't used many poisons because I've never had assassins in any of my games. When I did play an assassin myself, the DM was always just like, all right, fine, you find the poison you want. So there was no real imagination going on <laughs> with that. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do remember an article, I think, in a later dragon dealing with assassin uh, poisons. So I think that was in more towards another edition that shall not be named. So, <laughs> so I, that's probably a good uh, reason to for somebody to pick up an, this particular article mm-hmm. um, is because it's it's hard for a DM to introduce poison into a game without thinking about all the different things that come into it. So you might as well just say, okay, fine, you bought your poison and you know, you're know you using it. Kind of boring. But it yeah. actually... Um, let's run down through the list really quickly. So first of all, the thing about these po- about poisons is that good char- poisons in the AD&D world are just inherently evil. The very concept mm. of using poison is evil. Yeah, uh, I'm right. not going to get into the alignment discussions about this because this is one of those things where you have to say, this is the game, it's not supposed to be real life, and you could argue forever about whether it's evil in the real world, but in this game, poisons are evil. Right. And if a good character uses poison uh, without an unbelievably... Uh, huge reason and maybe even then depending on the dm it could be an alignment change it's just not something good characters do uh and it's something that primarily is in the realm of assassins if you're using poison in a town and the assassins guild gets wind of it even if you're an evil character if you weren't hooked up with the assassins guild you're probably going to find out more about poisons than you wanted to know firsthand right absolutely so with the five types of poisons um the first four, you're going to have to buy them. The fifth one, monster poison, monster venom, uh, you know, we can talk about in a minute. But the first four, uh, they go from type A through type, I don't know, 5As, etc. I, I don't know how many different types there are, honestly. I haven't studied this enough. A ludicrous but, amount. Hmm. A ludicrous amount, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of one of the places where the DM might want to just be expedient about it and say, I'm just going to pick what I really need out of this. The fun part is in trying to figure out how you actually use them. So ingestive poison is the first one. In a city environment, you could say, okay, I'm putting the powder in the prince's drink or you know, I'm hiring the chef to put the uh, poison into the king's food. But it's more likely that you're going to want to try to use these in an adventuring environment. So how do you get the poison – how do you get the monster to eat the poison? Right or how? Yeah, how do you? Yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. <laughs> you. So my assassin always put 
You know what? That really good. That's a good point because I, my assassin always had it on his daggers, but how did he get it on there? The DM, we never went over that with the DM. We just always assumed that he knew how to do it. Well, the daggers, that's that's a different type. That's your insinuative poison. Right. Um, the insinuative poison, it's water-based. So one of the questions is, if you've got poison uh, and you want to put it on your dagger, how many times can you do it? If you've got a vial of poison, is it a one-use thing, or how many times can you do it? Hmm. So uh, one of the things in this article is a handy little table, and I love tables. So this handy little table gives a list of different uh, weapons, dart, arrow, spearhead, pullarm, hand axe, dagger, etc., etc., and how many doses uh, or how many coats you can get out of a dose. So it assumes that a dose of poison is four ounces, and I think that's a good you know, thing to go with. Okay, I've got a four-ounce dose, just a little bit more than the TSA would let me take on an airplane. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a handy way to remember... <laughs> That's you okay. Know. I'll go with that. <laughs> um, then the uh, if, if it's a dart, you can coat about six darts with that. If it's a dagger, you can coat about two daggers with that same amount of poison. You can you can use that four ounces of poison to coat a short sword or a scimitar. But right. once you get up to a two-handed sword, that's only going to coat a third of it. So you actually are going to need three doses of poison to coat a two-handed sword. Hmm. And I think that's a really useful table because then it gets... And then you start kind of getting into things like saying critical misses now become a lot more interesting. True. If you... You know, and, and there's there's put things put in here and these percentages are just to kind of help the DM out and I think any right. DM worth their salt would just, you know, go ahead and pick whatever is most expedient. But he puts in some dexterity penalties for example if you're unsheathing your sword and it's been prepared with uh, an insinuative poison beforehand there's a certain chance based on your dexterity that you could nick yourself as you pull the sword out of the scabbard and then poison yourself as well right and then I, and then the, yeah and <laughs> actually this is kind of where i have an issue with this particular article, okay. even though I like tables and stuff of that nature too, mm-hmm. I thought this was like getting way too detailed into the minutia of things. I thought I, I even remember kind of this issue when I have it. Mm-hmm. I think I like glanced over. I thought this is too long. I'm gonna go to go to what's new with Phil and Dixie, <laughs> and because <laughs> I only think I read it, I'm like, huh. Like triple A poison and C and to me it's just like I think in my opinion it's just way com- it's complicating things way too much, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I definitely agree that you should be able to do what you want as far as uh, uh you know making some of these decisions like how he he gets into a lot of detail for example giving you the percentages based on your dexterity that you're likely to nick yourself pulling it yeah. out. Yeah. Um, right, and I, I, can under- that, yeah. I can understand how he got to that point because if I was writing this article, I would have done exactly the same thing. It would be hard not to sit down and say, let's figure this stuff out. And if you're a DM using it, you know, that's just there to help you if you want it. You don't have to use that. Right. And I, I probably wouldn't use that particular thing. If right. anything, out of this article, the only thing I could think of maybe using is the stuff about the uh, 
you know, the monster venoms. You know okay. how, you know, you know how what type can be harvested from what monster. But mm-hmm. other than that, like like the whole dexterity issue and the antidote thing, it, I'm like, to me that's like it's it's too deep, too much, too much detail. I'm like, I don't need that. I'm like, yeah. But you're still gonna need to know if 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 your player says to you, okay, you, you're a DM, you you've put poison in the game, right. and your player, one of your players is playing an evil character, and Eve. gets a hold of the poison. Mm-hmm. And says, "Okay, how much did I find?" Okay. I would make something up. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so along with so me, you, <laughs> so you make I would something wing up, it. and you you make something up, and you decide. Um, and he says, "Okay, well, you know, how many times can I use this?" So you wing it, you make it up, but at some point, you're going to write that rule down if the poison's going to keep on happening in your campaign, right? So nah. why? So so why? Well, if not, then I think <laughs> the player would be. You know, kind of getting cheated a little bit. Well, no, they, no, you should you should give them a predictable world. No, no, no I like no. it completely random. I would <laughs> I would say this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that the table in the DMG is perfectly fine. I mean, you know, page twenty. I'm like, it, what type of poison? The cost. Mm-hmm. You know, the damage it does. How much? It, you know, onset time. That's yep. all I need. I mean. In my opinion, I don't need any more. If you want more, you know, go for it here. It's like, but for me, it's not, it's not particularly useful in that case. I like to keep it as simple as I can at most times, even though I enjoy tables. Don't get me wrong, but I, I would prefer something a little more simplified. Just, you know, I think in my opinion, this stuff in this article is just, it's too much for my taste. Well, what I would say to do if you prefer something more simplified, because you know you would, you're not going to keep this article sitting by the gaming table, and when something <laughs> happens, sit there and read through all the paragraphs that he's written. Which, right. by the way, I mean, I happened, I do really enjoy because I like to just settle down with a good read, um, and I found it really entertaining. But I lost, I it lost do, me after like the third paragraph. <laughs> I mean, I think he had, I think he had some pictures. Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when he was like getting into all the, you know, all the different types like double, triple A poisons, how many vials you can get per year, I'm like, boring. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I what I do with uh, these types of things, same thing I do with the Dungeon Master's Guide or anything else, is as I'm going through, I make my own notes because I don't keep a, I don't like to be flipping through the dungeon master's guide all the time looking for trying you know trying to read through the paragraphs and decipher exactly what was happening when there's a game going on mm-hmm. but at the same time uh you know i actually really appreciate the fact that it's written that way and when i read other gaming systems and i'm not just talking you know tetsunibin type of stuff i'm talking you know any gaming system where they've kind of eschewed the flavor of the writing just to get to the rules i feel right. like you know i'd like to i'd like to feel those flavors of the rules but uh, what I do is I keep tables in my notebooks, I keep notes in there, and I can just quickly go to it and say, okay, the point of this was, while the article was very entertaining to read, uh, you know, and I enjoyed sitting around with a cup of tea and you know, sitting out back and you know, reading, reading the article, what I actually had to remember from it is I can have this many doses on, my, on a blade because of this. Um, mm-hmm. This particular poison is this strong. Um, and don't forget that if you're trying to get 
uh, monster venom out, there's going to be some things to keep in mind, like did the monster get stabbed or did it get hit with a club? You know, what was the likelihood of that? Um, to Vince's point, I think you know, I think that's one of the things that also is really interesting here is just uh, the bit about the monsters. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I actually find that part of the article, and I think I said that I I find that part of the article useful about the monster venoms, and I and I read the uh, the thing on the Dragon's Foot uh, forums about you know has anybody expanded that list from mm-hmm. monsters and the Fiend Folio Monster Manual too and what have you. Um, that would be a pretty good project, and we might have to look into that. Or if some of our listeners would love to do a project like that, you know, go ahead and that would be knock fun. yourself out. Like and an article, we would maybe. be more than happy to post it out on our website. Right. That would actually be a lot of fun, I think, to, to sit down and try to figure that out. Because we actually had a um, – no, no. You know, it's terrible when I remember something from a forum as, actually, as if it happened in my game. Wow. <laughs> there was somebody – oh, I'm getting old. Uh, somebody on the forums was asking something a while – you know, quite a while back about uh, what if I want to, um, I don't know, skin the monsters or something else. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just kind of got me thinking whenever stuff like this comes up, if you want to get monster venom, how does your character know where the poison sack is? Um, right. So That, it, might, I mean, that yeah. might be something to have to be attributed to like – that's where you might be getting into something like either you can have a skill set for that no. or no. It, if you're talking AD&D, mm-hmm. you might attribute it to something that, that might be a magic user might know or a cleric might know and they can make like, depending, you know, if it's a magic user, maybe make an intelligence check, you know, mm-hmm. you know a die mm-hmm. roll based off of their intelligence, maybe with some sort of modifier you can come up with. So I would say probably yeah. an elf would know if- Mm-hmm. If we that, that's something. a possibility, or a ranger. Ranger, yeah. You, you could know. just look at it from a standpoint of what's the character's background. Are they have, are they from the same area that this monster is from? Because if so, it's pretty likely that you know yeah, you those the local folk know something about you know that particular monster. But True. if they're in a completely foreign land, then you might want to say, let's make it a little bit harder on them. Ooh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so there's there's another table at the end of this article, which is really good, which is uh, the chance to recover the venom out of a monster. And the questions you know, run from if the monster is wounded and killed by sharp weapons or destructive yep. spells, uh, there's only a 10% chance to recover the venom. But yep, I saw that. It's uh, really good. Yeah, but all the way up to the monster being wounded and killed by blunt weapons only – um, incapacitated when it had all of its hit points, a 95% chance, and then a whole bunch of things in between. Uh, so what I would say is read the read the table. Um, don't memorize it. Don't bother keeping it next to your uh, Dungeon Master screen unless you really care about this a lot, but understand kind of where it's coming from so that when it mm-hmm. happens, you can make a pretty smart decision on the fly. Yeah, I mean, I don't dismiss the article entirely. There are just some things like the antidotes and the other expanded table poisons, but I, I do love the monster part, and I could see a very useful way of using that, because that has similar things have come up in my games, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have I have players, and I'm sure you've had it, too, where they just leave nothing that, if it's not, like, bolted down, they'll take it. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that includes dead monsters, so they're going to figure out a way, it's like, how can I skin it? If there's poison I can take out of it, does this have, like, 
is it you know spell components so yeah, something like this would be very useful, the monster section on the poisons, absolutely. Well, I hope, I hope you're using your encumbrance rules when your players try to take everything. <laughs> yeah. Encumbrance. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I'm kidding. See um, that? They better have one... several bags of holding. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, one, one other thing in here, well, there's a bunch of other things in the article that are worth looking at, but one other one that I thought was really useful, and that's about poisonous gases, because mm. it's a good question if you – throw a poisonous gas at a monster or you know they throw one at you or whatever uh it's just good to think about things like the area of effect of a cloud of poison and how far it can spread out um, yeah. which is something you could figure out on your own but it's nice to have it uh written down because somebody took the time to think about it as well mm. true true cool well uh tell us what you think about this article uh rfi staff at gmail.com uh, there was another forum topic I wanted to bring up, Jason, that you had just recently got involved with. It had related to a prior issue of ours. Really? About AD&D tactics and how it was used inside of a game and if it's more of a wargaming or, you know, what's the point. Jason, you got involved in it. Actually, was that was that one of... Did we talk about that? Was uh, that something to do with, like, how we were using miniatures and stuff? Yeah, it was actually related to the miniature topic that we had. Oh, okay. There were, right, I, okay. Okay. Yeah. No. It's actually it's going on right now. It's a pretty good um, forum topic to be following. Now, this uh, is some, this is about something we talked about in the show. No, um, uh, it's not. It's not related to. And specifically, it's related to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. They're not specifically saying that. I think uh, Vince is just saying that it. Yeah. Uh, could could be seen as that way. And actually, it's kind of funny because when the first. Uh, poster brought the question up. I think that's definitely what was on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, somebody came in and said, "I wonder if anybody has ever put together a good, um, you know, just sort of tactics primer yeah. for AD and D." Um, oh. And I was the first person to respond, and I think I piddled on his question a little bit by saying, well, you know, I don't really think that that's what AD&D is about, because this isn't a chess game. Mm. Uh, you know, you're not moving your miniature four squares and checking the area of effect and getting out your, um, the, your template to, you know, see. I mean, that's a wargaming thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, you're, and you're also not uh, sitting there and worrying about, you know, min-maxing and power gaming and that kind of stuff. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what was on my mind. And uh, a couple of other people came in, and I appreciated this. They said, well, you know, hey, I couldn't possibly disagree with you more. Yeah. Uh, because actually, <laughs> and I think that was the actual phrase somebody yeah. used, I couldn't possibly disagree with you more, um, and pointed out all the, the tactical kind of stuff. And since there's been a lot of good discussion about, you know, really the uh, tactics in the sense of how to – uh, just play smart as yeah. you're going through it, and it's a pretty sure. good uh, forum thread. So, um, but there was one guy. I will say one name off of the forum that I thought was kind of funny. There's a guy named uh, Elf Dart. Who yeah, I know him. I, I, I don't know what his problem is, but he just went off. He started yeah. calling me. A, he started calling me a troll. Um, I think he called me a Ooh. cow. No, he said cat. What? He yeah. said, cattle think with their guts. He says that my opinions are useless and I should crawl back under a bridge. Yeah. I have no idea what like got in this guy's panties, but he is upset. Damn. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, too, because his actual like like whateverness was in response to my sort of – not exactly apology, but my kind of going, yeah, you know what, guys? 
you're right. You're talking about tactics in the right way, and I was thinking of something totally different because I just had this other thing on my mind. So right on, good on you. And he's like, you see, obviously you're a troll. I'm like, no. okay. <laughs> That's fine. <Yeah. laughs> Doesn't sound like he's trolling to me. Uh, but so, so, never... so, Elf Dart, if you're out there, I'm really sorry that your cornflakes got all like you know urinated in and stuff. And I hope you have a better day. You know. Yeah, that's so. that's odd. I'm like. Oh, anyway. Whatever. Okay. Anyway, well, whatever. If you have any issues with uh, Jason or any one of us, just email us and just lash out, <laughs> and we will respond uh, accordingly. Blame us directly on the show. Get us where it hurts. Yeah. Why yeah. not? We're, that's, what, that's what we're here for, your abuse. That's no, right. I'm kidding. RFIstaff at <laughs> gmail.com, and that'll bring us into our next segment. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? Why do I sound like I do? Playing tips. So, for playing tips tonight, we got, I'm going to entitle this one, Interrogation Not With a Paladin Around, What to Do. This actually came up in my group. This uh, is... This is one of the classic, mm-hmm. I think, AD&D debates. arguments. Yeah. Debates. Yes. We have ways of making you talk. <laughs> well, we can't have the paladin knowing about this, so off you go, paladin. Oh, okay. You know? That. Yeah. Um, you know, something like this, and I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it the past couple of days, and, you know, I don't think an issue of this like this ever came up. Because I don't think we ever had a paladin, but beyond that, you could expand this a little bit if you mm-hmm. take alignments into consideration. I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, at least if you're looking at the good evil alignment, you know, axes, mm-hmm. and I think that if you have good aligned PCs, you still could have interrogation. I'll, cl- uh, but. It depends on the type of interrogation that you use. Well, you know. well, let's 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 start with the paladins and yeah, then expand yeah, yeah. it to the good because you're right about that. Um, and my starting point on this would be pretty similar to yours, which is just having a paladin doesn't necessarily preclude you uh, from doing any of these things. And right, exactly. I think that the the comic that we talked about last week, the Order of the Stick, hmm. Rich Burlew has. Uh, one of the best examples of anybody – if anybody wants to see really how to role-play a paladin well, there's an mm-hmm. entire story arc that goes around a, an area called Azura City, which is uh, – has paladins coming out the ears. Okay. And, and the, so he gets a chance to really explore the uh, personalities and the different types of paladins. So you've got one paladin – uh, named I think Mizo or something, who is or maybe Miho, who is you know just kind of the over the top paladin that you usually think about. She just is obsessive in her uh, quest for lawful goodness everywhere, and she sees her gods you know driving her hand even when she gets a stain on her shirt and it's in a particular shape. She's like, the stain means you want me to wipe out the stain that has come across our lands. I will do so. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then you have some of the paladins that are a little bit more more easygoing and all that kind of stuff. You, know, so you see the whole, the whole spectrum of it. And so I was thinking about this in terms of 
what would happen in that game if there was interrogation coming up. Mm. And the Paladins hold an incredibly uh, just blood-level hate for the evil that's in their lands, the goblins and the hobgoblins and such. And when you're reading the the, uh, comic and you, you read all through it, you get to see the goblins and the hobgoblin side of things too. So even though they're evil with a capital E, you start right. understanding that they're, they're sentient creatures too. And so then suddenly you can look at it. You know, when the paladins start mistreating them, you're like, hmm, does this really follow the classic version of good the way we think of it? Because in this comic, and admittedly this is a comic, this is not, you know, anything from the rule books, but I think he does a good job of showing that the paladins are willing to go. Um, that extra step sometimes because they feel that they're doing it for a greater good or against a particularly evil thank monster. you thank you thank you thank mm-hmm. you 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 hit the nail on the head the paladins are doing it for the greater good mm-hmm. and I think that's a very key point to bring up and I think that would also go if you go for a broader sense of like I was talking about any good aligned PC if obviously, I think the answer is yes. They would do some form of interrogation if it is for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also need to make a distinction between interrogation and plain torture. Right, right. We're talking about interrogation here. You know, like I was saying before, we have ways of making you talk, Doctor Jones. You know, <laughs> we can make you eat ice cream very fast so you can get a headache. <laughs> you know, Jones. so. Yeah, well, that's a form of interrogation. Torture, I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it, but if you think about it, good aligned PCs, paladins included, I think they would use some form of, mm. you know, strong arm persuasion interrogation if it's for the greater good. If you, like, I'll just throw the scenario out there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a paladin in your group, yeah. and mostly good aligned neutral around PCs there, neutral, good-aligned PCs and that sort of nature, and you know that there is going to be a horde of orcs, goblins, and trolls that are going to be hidden your way, but you don't know exactly where, and you capture, like, some goblin off some goblin patrol, but he's not talking, you're going to find a way to make him talk. Right. I mean, yeah. if you take the... I mean, you're, you're getting kind of close to, think, like, watching 24. kind of, like, not so sure about that. I don't know, because I, I kind of see a paladin as the holy goodness person there, and he's not going to torture someone or interrogate someone. We're not talking tor- torture here. All right, we're, we're talking, not going to interrogate. That's coming up, yeah. I think. Torture's <laughs> different. Torture's different. Torture's just for the sake of torturing. We're not taught, you know, it's a difference well, between okay, okay. slapping a dude around and trying to find out where are the plans between, you know, Takamata from the Inquisition. Torture is... Torture doesn't necess- doesn't mean in, not in the game. Uh, you know, I won't go into too much with real world, but it's it's not just because you're not. It's not only torture if you do it for fun. It's also it's it's all about how it affects the monster that you're interrogating or torturing. It doesn't really matter okay. what your motives are in terms of is it torture. But we're still talking right. about interrogation. So interrogation, a paladin can intimidate. He can maybe, as Nick was saying, slap someone around a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. Well, but See, okay, so I think I think ahead. I think the the movie that we referred to in an earlier issue, uh, Jason, the uh, gamers uh, dungeon. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Darkness yeah, Rising. 
Darkness Rising, yeah. I think they had a good reference to how paladins, how people, most people play paladins, when the demon was trapped and they were like, well, we we're going to interrogate you for information. He's like, well, you can't do that with a paladin in the group per the rules of the book. Right. And they all look at the paladin and he just goes, oh, okay. Wow, look at the shingles on that house. And he goes running off so they can interrogate him. Yeah, sure. The, and, the and if that happened... <laughs> I mean, and if that happened, absolutely not. I mean, that that's definitely violating the paladin's alignment. Yeah. I mean, we we had a paladin in our game that kept getting hit over the head, Mister T style, oh, whenever nice. something was coming up. Huh. Which, as the DM, I thought was hilarious. <laughs> you know, I I was totally willing. I was totally willing to allow that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny part was the player himself started getting mad, and so you know, oh well. <laughs> Maybe we got to cut that stuff off. <laughs> but. Yeah, but but I, I was just going to say that the, the uh, thing you were saying earlier, Nick, was getting kind of close to like a Jack Bauer kind of ticking time bomb situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm watching 24, I'm, you know, I can't help thinking, hmm, what's his alignment? So, you know, I yeah, think I Jack neutral. Bauer is somebody who is, you know, probably would be, if if I was creating him as a character in a game, I would give him a good alignment but he'd be constantly straying over into the neutral so that maybe by the third season he's lost his good alignment even though he's still working for the good guys. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and part of that would be because of his uh, constant you know, need to do the most expedient thing and mm. you know, quote-unquote slap some guy around. And I think if you do it once, maybe it was for a thing, but this might be something that happens as the campaign goes on. If the Paladin starts doing it a few too many times and right. enjoying takes, it, and enjoying it, they, yes, if he gets pleasure out of it, then you're crossing the line. You're right. And then the other side of things is even if uh, you know you you got your Paladin who's not taking pleasure in it, only doing it appropriately, only doing it at the right moments for the greater good, then your other question is, as a DM, and this is kind of up to you for the way you run your game, but do you want that stuff to even work? Well, you know what? It won't work all the time, I don't think. I think it depends on the type of NPC or monster you're dealing with. I mean, some may not be intimidated at all. They'd rather die than divulge any information. Or just so. they'll just give up the false information, right? Or or they'll, yeah, they'll make something up. They'll you know half truths and what have you. You know, by the time they've been slapped around enough times, pretty soon they're telling you that they were actually there when Soromon was born. Yeah. You know, they'll tell you anything you want to know. So I, actually, that's interesting because I actually I actually have some experience with this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in the Navy, I went through uh, a school called Seer School. Stands for survive, evade, resist, and escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you basically learn how to be a prisoner of war and how to, you know, deal with that tor- sort of situation. I was in a situation where I was an in-flight technician in a navy, and you had to go through this sort of training. Yep. And you, you, it was a two-week school. I won't get into all the details, but one of the things you do learn is when you're being interrogated and or tortured one time one way or another you're going to break everybody has a breaking point yeah and you might just give a little bit of information or you might just say you know a half truth so yeah i could see where you know like you were talking about with with an evil uh npc or or a, or a monster like a goblin or an orc you know they're not gonna 
there are going to be times when they're just not going to, uh, you know, you know, cough up the information, or they're going to make something up, or you know, they're going to give a half truth or something like that. So. Yeah. So one thing you could do when you're playing the monster as the DM is you could, like you just said, if they, if you think that they've uh, thought about it ahead of time, maybe they've got some half truths ready to to say. Or if they right. haven't thought about it, maybe by the time you break them, they're just telling you so many things that the truth might be in there, but they've just told you ten other things just to get and you, you don't know stop. what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. But what might be kind of more fun to, I mean, also with your players is. You know, it, it seems like it's pretty not easy, but it's it's almost the go-to for a player to say, "Okay, I'm going to interrogate the orc, and we'll just you know hit him with a wet fish for an hour or whatever." But <laughs> the comfy could, chair, the comfy chair could work. But it, if you have uh, players that are very good role players, I'd like to see how they go about trying to pull the good cop bad cop routine a little bit, and how they try. You to know do- what? That's happened in my Hackmaster game. Yeah, we've had that happen. You tell where? Oh, they I and it went on for like a good half hour of the game. Or what? They captured. I for, I think it was a hobgoblin, and they were trying to find out some information about. This was a. It was the Hackmaster version of the Slave Lords. Uh, series, mm-hmm. and um. They captured a hobgoblin. I think it was at the very beginning. They wanted to find out more information of where the slave lords were hanging out, uh, where their where their other base of operations might be. And they uh, one one of the player characters he was the good cop. In fact, he was a he was a, a knight, and the bad cop guy was the thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of played it off each other, and it made <laughs> such an awesome role-played experience. They had this hobgoblin. I remember when I was playing it, they, I played the hobgoblin. He was, he was scared witless. I mean, he didn't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he gave up a little bit of information in the end. But, yeah, that whole like good cop, bad cop thing. Awesome role playing opportunity. I just when you were talking about that, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. So really fun. Yeah, oh yeah, it was great. It's great. Just uh, I, with with Hackmaster is a knight like a paladin. Well, there's a class called a knight errant. He's uh-huh. kind of like a. He's kind of like a knight that that follows his own code. He's actually he's if I guess another one like in Castle and Crusades, it's similar to the knight in there. If you're familiar mm-hmm. with that system, but he's kind of no. A, but I actually, um, this is he's like a cavalier light. <laughs> Let's put it that okay. way. He's like light. a cavalier, but not so less like, filling. Yeah, he's yeah, he's <laughs> definitely less filling. Oh yeah, that's right. And I read your uh, post on the Dragon's Foot that you actually like to play with all of the uh, AD and D classes, including Arthur Cana. So I guess you actually have cavaliers in your campaign. Um. I'm open to them, absolutely. I don't have. Have you, a have you had any in yet? No, not yet. No, I, I don't think so. No, no. Would you but, give a cavalier any different uh, leeway or anything different than a paladin in a case like this? No, I think I would treat them about this. Well, you know what? I would because they are good aligned. Mm-hmm. I would treat it well, similar to that if they were doing like interrogation for something yeah if they were doing it for the greater good i would say i wouldn't have a problem with it but once they cross the line where they might be taking pleasure in such endeavors yeah i would definitely call them on it 
Doesn't the Cavalier have the option with the DM permission to play Lawful Evil? I I don't remember. I don't. I haven't looked at that book in a while, but I believe there is an option to play a different alignment as long as it's lawful. Actually, I got the Unearth Arcana right here. Yeah, uh, let us know. Actually, uh, must be initially initially be of good alignment. I think yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I thought. So after a certain amount of time, you might be able to change your alignment then. Yeah. So that would be a DM permission thing to go to maybe lawful evil or lawful yeah. neutral. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, I think the lawful evil cavalier can probably do all of the stuff he wants then. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so this the reason why I brought this up because it came up in my group, and I just want to see what you guys had thought about it because I was playing a paladin because I wanted something a little different. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the group, of course, was playing chaotic neutral. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really be in that group, can you? Uh, well, I had no other choice, but, I mean, they're not. No, I mean, as a paladin, I, can you really be in a group of all neutral characters? Why not? As long as they're not committing evil acts in front of my eyes that I could see or sense. That's true. That's true. Hmm. It's I don't very... know. There's, there's something suddenly uh, kind of setting off my, my spidey sense about this. <laughs> I don't, his, I don't his have dungeon master sense is tingling. <laughs> so yeah. I got... I got... Do either of you got a player's handbook in front of you? Because I would like I to do. know... A pal- yeah. If you look under a paladin, I think on page 22... Uh, it says something about. I said. I said that like I just knew. I was looking in the in <laughs> the dungeon master's guide. But oh I my think god! It says you know something. What was. That's just sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, does it say anything in there about they can hang out with? I I thought it was. If I rem- it might not be on that page. Well, a chaotic but- neutral character can portray himself as chaotic good. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, you're thought, right. I just thought they couldn't hang out with evil with other characters of evil alignment. Yeah, just can't hang out with evil alignment char- or evil aligned characters. I thought. Yeah. Just okay, quickly well, glancing through, I didn't see anything about like chaotic neutral. Yeah. I. It might just be. You know what? It might be. I might be thinking about thieves. You know, and just thinking. You know that. Uh, they can't hang out with thieves, and thieves can sometimes be neutral. And I'm just conflating things in my memory. <laughs> Could hmm. be. Well, tell us what you think. You listeners out there, write to us and correct us so we know what we're talking about next time we have another show. <laughs> that's not going to happen. We still won't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, R- no, we will. <laughs> R- staff at gmail.com. The Dragon's Horde. Well, we got the Dragon's Horde up here next. Uh, what do we have this week, Jason? We have the... Why do you ask me for this one? We have the girdle. Okay, I'll of... take it. Fine. <laughs> I wasn't trying to imply anything, but all right. <laughs> I've got the highest voice. <laughs> We've got the girdle of femininity and masculinity. So just drop and your voice down. Page one forty-five of the DMG for all you folks out there. Yes, if I recall correctly. <laughs> so and it's. <laughs> Uh, it basically, on the surface, is exactly what it sounds like. It is a belt, you know, like a weightlifter's belt kind of looking thing. Uh-huh. That uh, the moment you put it on and buckle it, uh, you will instantly be transformed uh, into, well, 90% chance <laughs> that you will be instantly transformed into the opposite gender. 10% chance that you will simply be transformed into a completely genderless uh, being. Yeah, you will be neutered. 
Yes. <laughs> so in in the most strict sense of the word, uh, exactly. as soon as as soon as that happens, the magic all disappears from the belt, and so you're not going to be able to just put it on again and and uh, reverse it, and the change is almost completely irreversible. Sure, yeah, it's it's uh, nasty. I I I mem- when I read through this, Jason, <laughs> I I went, damn, because. <laughs> It's like a wish has only a 50% chance of effectively reversing mm-hmm. this curse. Yep. <laughs> wow. It basically, it takes a, a, it says here, a godlike creatures. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know if, if the uh, magic item was created primarily as a way to uh, mess around with your players, but oh, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, I, well, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, in in gameplay terms, okay. So so Fofford is now Fofferess, you know, <laughs> or Fofferia, Fofferia, you know. So so other than your or you know, if you're playing a, a female character, it's suddenly a male character. Other than than that, and the fact that if you're playing with a group of other thirteen year old kids, you know, <laughs> that they might have a lot of fun at your expense. But yeah, this is going to bring up some really interesting. Role-playing possibilities, you know? <laughs> it definitely is going to be like that, that movie that Vince was just mentioning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah especially you know, when the character kept changing oh, from yeah, male to female. God, I'm a chick. Yeah. That's right. Now, I got two questions about this um, mm-hmm. uh, particular item. One, when it says, like, godlike creatures could reverse the effect, mm-hmm. one that left the mind, I'm, I'm wondering if it would be able to do it would be a titan. Hmm. Would a Titan be able to reverse the effect of this thing? Um. Why not? Uh, I, I, I'm thinking yes, that they would be able to. Um, and the other one, that. how do you pee if you become neuter with this thing? Uh, in game terms, let me think about that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's. How written, are you gonna go pee? <laughs> I don't think anyone's written a supplement for that yet. So <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> But, yeah, it's uh, interesting. AD and D, the bathroom experience. I don't know. I, I I think you found a absolutely fatal flaw in the Dungeon Master's Guide. I don't think absolutely. It's just, gonna, it's just going to. It's going. You you you've put logic against it. It's going to just disappear. And you better unsay that before my book disappears. <laughs> I, I, I I think Mr. Gygax is blinking at you right now, Jason. Going, what <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess, you know, we'll, we would just have to let that be up to the player's creative imagination that I don't want to go into here on a or family friendly um, It's like, now you have just a hole. Nah, he's family friendly. We we want to keep our clean <laughs> tag. Oh, no, I didn't say. Okay. I'm a... <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, other than, other than uh, the fact that it creates a lot of fun humor in the game, uh, I don't really see too much of a problem. Yeah, oh no! Getting I think it's cool. I think it's a cool magic item because just the role playing possibilities that you're gonna <laughs> introduce I, to the group when someone puts this thing on. I think this was made along the lines of keeping your players in check. I think Gary had designed a bunch of things along with a, everyone else who designed the book to a way for the DM to keep the players in check that are getting out of control. Mm-hmm. So I think this was one of the items he was just like he 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 rubbing his hands together, <laughs> saying, "This is well, they're gonna screw up my campaign. Boom! This is what they're gonna get." 
Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in here that are designed to keep the player from just willy nilly recklessly putting on everything they find, right? Mm-hmm. Or trying out everything they find. Although, um, like the necklace we talked about last time. Yeah. 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 This but is like one of those items. There is a potential use for this if you manage to um, find uh, find out what it is before you put it on. Oh, really? Oh, clue me in on this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of uses I can think of. The first one, and I'm sorry I'm going to make another reference to the comic strip this time, but Rich Burley was such a good writer. He comes up with the best stuff. Uh, he came up with a situation where they found a well it wasn't ex- it wasn't exactly this it might have been a slightly different magic item because he's not you know writing a comic about first edition AD&D but they found a girdle of gender changing yeah. and carried around just you know have, toss it in the backpack and you know you never know when you're going to need something like this and then way way down the line you know a couple of hundred strips later and by the way you were right last week it is 700 strips i was saying like uh-huh. i was wrong about all kinds of stuff last week um but uh, yeah, but uh, so the characters are just carrying it around. Elon, of course, had it in his backpack because who's going to be the one most likely to carry that? And so at one point, they were in a situation where they were trapped in a hotel. There was a group of assassins coming to get Roy because they thought he was the king and that they had to assassinate him. And there was no way out of the situation. And suddenly Elon said, I think I have a disguise for you. Oh. <laughs> So, turned him into, yes, I'm going to say it, a queen. Yeah, the king became a queen. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And, hey, when, when you're up against a wall and there's no way out, and, uh, hey, maybe this could be that last-ditch chance to escape. It, okay, I guess I could see it. Use it as a disguise thing as long as you... You want to just play with that 50-50 chance of a wish working Yeah. afterwards. I don't know yeah. if I'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> if it's that if it's that or die. <laughs> I, I don't know if my character would be like, can we think it's just some other way, guys? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. It could be a pretty interesting offensive weapon, too. You want to talk about something to use in an interrogation. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be pretty nasty. Oh, or, God. you know, let's say that your characters are going up against a uh, – there's a lizard man colony, and this lizard man colony is a very uh, patriarchal society where they have absolutely no respect for women in that society at all. Just slip it into the leader's uh, clothing. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, it, there's a lot of fun things you could do with it. <laughs> fun and almost silly. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> let's hear what you guys have to say out there. Email us and tell let us know. Creature, 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 theater, theater, theater. Well, next we have the creature feature theater, and maybe I'll do my accent since DM Bill, since I sound like more like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> so, okay. it's a matter of effect that is correct. So, there you go, DM Oh, Bill. very good. <laughs> There's a little bit of, uh, where's my red stapler, but I liked it. <laughs> where's it, the swing line stapler? It's my stapler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> As a matter of right. fact, this is topic is about golems, and uh, this yes. is the best monster ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> which we will all be very careful to pronounce golem. That's what I yes. said. Though I want to say golem. It's golem. It's golem. I've been golem my whole life, so yeah. if I accidentally slip up, I'm sorry. But golem, we'll try to say. Okay. We'll, I grew we'll up interrogate yeah. you later. <laughs> Nick. So, Nick, how many kinds of golems do we have? Oh, well, 27. going through all three books, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did go through them all. Um, Monster Manual, you have the three <laughs> or four, sorry, four <laughs> uh, types uh, of golems. You, you got the, the clay golem, now. which is, uh, if you do a little research, Gumby. on, I, I would say that that one's definitely the one that's based off of Jewish folklore. Yeah, yeah. that's your classic. Yep. And, and looking at the picture of it, in the Monster Manual, which is uh, page 47, for all of our listeners out there, if you look really close, yeah, you can almost see that the runes on its forehead, very similar how it would be in Jewish folklore. Hold on. I'm uh, the, I don't think my eyesight's that good. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, okay, so so you're right. This is, Well, the one, the one difference, of course, is I think the uh, Golem of Legend actually had a paper put inside of its head yeah. yes yeah. and there was i think there was like and some of them it does have with runes as well yeah uh, on, but on this is the, I, I think it's it's interesting that in the monster manual this is the only one of the four in the first monster manual that is created by a cleric yep yeah. that's rather right than a magic user so i yeah. think that's a nod to the fact that this is the you know the original the og yeah 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 and the the next one you got the flesh golem, which is obviously Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. I want to say Frankenstein's monster. It's not Frankenstein. Not Frankenstein. It's the That's monster. The guy who made folks. Him. Thank you. That's the guy who made him. Yep. <laughs> uh, then you have uh, probably the most deadly of all, the Iron Golem. <laughs> which and now, then, after having seen the Iron Giant, I kind of appreciate even more. Okay. Yeah, Iron Golem is. Very deadly, and then you got the stone gold, which is the next looks, the most deadly. Looks like he's dressed like a maid, but anyway. <laughs> well, it, he's, he's he does upset look about like what Mac he's doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and those last two are the. Uh, those two have no chance of going berserk like the other two do, which is no, even more. The, yeah, the flesh and the clay golems have the chance of of going berserkowitz. Um. Mm-hmm. But that's like the Iron Golem is the one where it could breathe out a cloud of poisonous gas, um, could be healed by fire and fire-affecting spells. Um, only yeah, weapons that is a nasty or, Yeah, weapons of plus For three. every hit point of damage that the fire would have done, that's a hit point of healing. Yeah. Um, Stone Golem is almost similar. It could cast slow every other round. Um also, if you do um, mud to rock, restores all damage suffered by the golem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but if you do rock to mud, or uh, it'll slow the golem by half and do two to Which twelve points of damage. So, and also if you cast stone the flesh on a stone golem it will be vulnerable to normal attacks in the following melee round. So, 
Yeah, those are the four only basic. For that, but only for uh, that round? Is that the case? Well, as, I guess as long as the, uh, the spell, spell will last. Yeah. Okay. And then... I mean, none of... Yeah. Well, um, I was just going to say uh, the other ones I, I looked up, but yeah, we could talk about a little bit on these guys right now, the the, the core four, if you want to call them. Yeah. The core four. I mean, none of them sound like anything that a character of very low level should ever come anywhere near. No. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I think is worth going into for a minute is specifically around the clay golem, because there's been uh, a long-standing not debate, uh, controversy, I don't know what I'm looking for here, but about one particular sentence in here, and that is, damage inflicted upon living matter by a clay golem is only repairable by means of a healing spell from a cleric of 17th or greater level. And so a lot of people over the years have read this and said, that doesn't sound right, I bet it was supposed to be the opposite, because why would, so they, they, they would think, well, this says here that if a clay golem damages you, you know, if, if you're mm-hmm. human fighter or any, you know, type of fighter gets right. uh, hit by this this uh, clay golem, you're not going to be able to heal unless you get a 17th level cleric to heal you. Yeah, that's how it reads. Yeah, and a lot of people have looked at it and said, well, maybe it's the other way around because it, what they're really trying to say is that you need a 17th level cleric to repair the golem. So luckily this matter was put to rest uh, some time ago, again, at our favorite forums at Dragon's Foot, where um, I believe it was Rob Kuntz that was mm-hmm. actually in there, and somebody went ahead, thankfully, and just asked him directly and said, here's the question everybody's been asking for a long time. Is that sentence backwards? Um, and he went into a really long kind of why I think it is backwards, blah, 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 all the other things, and Rob Kuntz just said, hmm, yeah, do you see what it says in there? That's what it means. <laughs> He's just so, like, that's it. It's right. That's the that's the rule. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, that just means don't. You're gonna get up if you get if, if you uh, hit the golem. Okay, that just moved it right up there with the iron golem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I you know now that you brought that to light, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but there anybody are that can go back and look for the Q and A with Rob Kuntz on the uh, on the forums. He is very explicit about that. Yeah, cool. That's great. I'm like now that I have a whole new respect for the clay, clay gold now. But yeah, there I'm are not some... sure exactly how it's supposed to work, but I guess it's something in their magic. Well, now there are some other ones uh, mm-hmm. going through the other books. Uh, the Fiend Folio. There is either a golem or golem like monsters. You have the Karyatid column, a, a column in the Fiend Folio. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of like a, a stone golem light, if you will. <laughs> um, and then you have the Iron Cobra, which is in uh, hmm. also in the Fiend Folio. It's very similar to a a golem type creature. Uh, the Necrophidius, which is also in the Fiend Folio. You've done much I, better homework than me. This is good. Yeah. Well, you know, I I have all my books. I like to use them. Uh, the I, I do too, is, but I was so unimaginative about it. I just looked for the word golem in my fiend folio. I didn't yeah, think to actually uh, read that carefully. It's great. Yeah, the necrophidius is like a bone golem, that, or it's known as the death worm. If you read the description... <laughs> you sure that's not just something from a bottle of tequila? 
No. <laughs> but it's on page 67 of the Fiend Folio. And if you read through, it's like on the fourth paragraph of it. It says, there are three ways of creating a necrophidius. The first is by means of a special magical tome similar to a manual of golems. The second method is from a high-level magic user employing a limited wish, a geas, and a charmed person. And the third method is from a high-level cleric to employ quest, neutralize poison, prayer, silence, and snake charm. And it goes on how you know, how much gold pieces it takes to create this uh, the, the death worm. And there's another one in here which really shows some of the silliness out of the Fiendfolio, the Scarecrow. Yes, there is a Scarecrow. It's like I don't know, the Hegel, I don't know if you might want to call it, but it's actually kind of nasty. And this one's on page 77 of the Fiend Folio. And uh, quickly looking it up, this is, as far as I can tell, this is the only golem that has an alignment that's not just neutral. It has an evil hmm. alignment. Well, if it's, if it's non-intelligent, how does it have... An alignment. I'm reading it now myself. To uh, try okay, I know the answer to that. Because if you heard me go away for a second, folio. it's because I ran in the other room to get this. The answer that is because it's the Fiend Folio. Okay? Oh, and it just gets stuff weird? Yeah, well, there's weird stuff in there. I mean, look at the next entry, and then you'll see why. Um, yeah. Screaming Devilkin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the book that has the flump in it, so work with me. <laughs> yeah. But, no, you're right, um, and, and I think um, the one monster that we had on an early show, which was the automaton, was yeah. you know, in many ways, it was a type of a golem. Sure, sure, exactly. Um, so you have this one in there as well. Um, so those are only uh, four I could see in the Fiend Folio that are like that are golem or golem-like in their construction. But over in MM2, um, did and, we have any explicit golems? Yes, there's one. The Stone Guardian. Okay. That's on page 115 of Monster Manual Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact. Yes. And that flip, one... Flip. I need to that one made its appearance in... Um, originally in the module L1, Secret of Bone Hill. Okay. So Ooh, good that wonderful. one is another stone golem type creature that is not as powerful as the standard stone golem. Okay. So, um, this one, another type of golem that you can have in your game. And uh, I can only think of other types. Like, I haven't found stats for, or, but I think some sort of, like, wood golem or a bone golem would be cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's great about the golem is the opportunity to come up with your own, even, you know, I think you could come up with a lot of really interesting things in a house ruled kind of way for that. Yeah. What what about you, Vince? What about you and, and you using golems in your game and have you made up any? I mean, no, I, I actually haven't really used them much at all to be honest. Really? No. I I know that they come up a lot in tournaments. Really? Like, you know, at game conventions there are modules that are, you know, written for game conventions and stuff and it just never fails. At least one encounter is some sort of golem. Really, <laughs> it just seems like that. <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't had that happen to me yet. 
yeah, it's just like there's a propensity of at least one encounter, and everyone I've been in, it's like, oh my god, another golem. It's like this is another <laughs> way of the DM trying to kill us off. So I'm like, well, okay, I would do the same thing too. So yeah, I, I, at least I've noticed that in my experience. So I don't know. One of the things that I there was a cover of Dragon Magazine that uh, Phil Foglio drew, which I like to interpret as having a snow golem on the cover. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> where the where the where the snowman has come to life and is starting to, I like to think of Frosty the Snowman as a snow golem. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I think you could keep going with this. I'd like to know if uh, in an underwater adventure, if there'd be some way to have a water golem, a seaweed golem. <laughs> that would be great. A kelp golem. A kelp golem. Uh, I can th- actually think of another one from some. Actually, uh, again, out of Hackmaster, there's some interesting ones. There's one that's called a puppet golem. Think of puppet okay. master movies, and Ooh. they're little Ooh, guys, yeah. and they, yeah, they they're they're kind of nasty. Um, mm-hmm. There's also they have one. Uh, this is kind of bordering on the absurd, but uh, there's the mud golem. You got a, <laughs> one that mm-hmm. you can construct out of mud and dirt and what have you. Uh, the <laughs> gristle golem. Ooh, well, there's that. also the. It's made out of like gristle and fat. Okay. And that one kind of leaves a streak of grease and fat behind it, and you might be able to <laughs> slip and fall and what have you. There's also one called the blood golem. Which is made out of blood. That just brought up a thing I was thinking of the movie Dogma, if you remember that one scene. I was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't want to say oh, that. I won't say this. I won't I say, say it. this without losing our clean tag. Yeah, let's but, just not let's just reference the movie Dogma. Let's just assume that all of our listeners know what we're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about that demon thing. Yeah, that was more of a golem, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, I don't know. Put it in your game. Put it in your I, game. Yeah, I would actually put it in as a game as a demon. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I can think of a lot of fun to be had with these things. All right. poop golem. Okay. <laughs> Nick had to go there. I said poo. Nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any experience with golems, let us know. And if you want to create anything, let us know. We'll post it up on the website. RFIstaff at gmail.com. Close your eyes and tell me what you see. library. So for the library this week, we have Dungeon and Dorks, a web strip comic since 2000. So what do you yeah. guys think? I was confused. Really? Um, so, all right, I think you, you said that the original art has been redone. Yeah, they went back. And, so, yeah, yeah it... it the the first thing that that happened was when I went back and looked at the first one because I want to you know read through a whole thing and catch up on it. Ooh. The fact that the artwork was the same as the newest one kind of threw me off a little bit. Mm. They went through uh, quite a bit of uh, artists and writers. I don't even think the original person still even does it anymore. I think he left many years ago and someone took it over from him. Really? So what was it like before? What was the old art like? Kind of more like towards the order of the stick type drawings. Mm-hmm. And so okay. it wasn't high. It wasn't that quality, but it really wasn't meant to be. So. Hmm. And then they yeah. took some time off. They got some new artists and some inkers and some writers, and uh, they went as you see right now. They went back and redid everything. Wow. Yeah. 
It's uh, what did you think, Nick? Um, I thought it was okay. Uh, I think it's it's pretty good, but I I think it has too much of the current edition of D and D in it. Well, yeah, as of right now, they I remember the one of the recent posts last year was they were saying we're starting a new campaign. Like, what's it going to be about? It's about the edition shall be nappy name, but I won't say it on this podcast. But you know what I'm talking about, right? But they, yeah, they did start with third edition, so yeah. But they did show all the goofy things that happened. I mean, this sure, is... oh yeah. So basically, it's about a new DM forming a new group of players, and he lies to his players and give, tells them whatever they want to hear just to get them there in the group. And you got your stereotypical dumb jock playing the fighter. You got this little, uh, this sneaky guy dressed in a, like a rules lawyer type Munchkin type guy coming over with his briefcase, throwing out all these different characters at the DM. And then you have your stereotypical, uh, what he, the artist, is considering a woman wanting to play who's just playing a role-playing type character who brings a booklet with her background information. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> and then you have this little dorky kid that he just converted over to play the game that really doesn't want to play, but he's playing because his friend's making him playing. So, Yeah. So all in all, it's a fun little comic strip, I think. Yeah, it is. You know, I And like you were saying, it just some of the common things that might happen at anybody's game table and it kind of plays up on that a bit you know and that's and that's cool yeah the well, one of the things i don't know if it was the artwork throwing me off i mean it, it, or maybe i if maybe i shouldn't have known that that was gone back and redone because when i was reading it i felt like the artist and the writer had never been in the same room together probably which i guess they hadn't no <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. and it i don't know the writing just kind of it showed what it, one thing it showed me is just how hard it is to really write a good web comic. Yeah, because yeah. there's thousands of web comics out there, and you know when you read through a lot of them. And I was just up at the web comics convention a few months ago up in uh, New Hampshire. That was a lot of or Massachusetts. That was a lot of fun. And oh, so cool. you know I got this idea. Oh, it's real. They're going to be doing it every year. It's called the um, New England Web Comics Weekend. N e w w w. And it's uh, it's it's the guys from Overcompensating that run it, and you know there's so many amazing web comics that when you go away from that weekend, you know you get the idea that that a they're everywhere and b anybody could do one, including you. Like mm. every one of us in the car on the drive back was like coming up with our idea for a web comic. You're just uh, all pumped up about it, and you get back home and you start writing it and going, wait a minute, this is a little harder than I thought. <laughs> so, okay. And and that's the thing about this comic. I like this comic. I really do. Um, I'm not saying I'm necessarily going to uh, go all the way through uh, the whole series and, and, and read it up to the beginning, but I, I like it. But there's something about the writing that just feels off, and mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I – th- I, I remembered it as having lots of spelling and grammatical errors, and I went back and went, no, I don't think it actually does. It's just the dialogue doesn't click. It doesn't, I don't it just know. just doesn't flow well for to some me, reason? This, is, this yeah. is just to me. I don't know. I'm not making this an actual critique of it in general. I'm saying somehow it didn't hit home with me. I think it's because they went back and redid everything that ruined it kind of in a way. That might be so, yeah. Yeah, they they could definitely be it. I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning behind going back and redoing everything was, but I don't. They decided to do that. 
Yeah, maybe of... there was. Yeah, maybe there was something lost when they redid the artwork. It just maybe it just didn't match up with the dialogue as well. Well, yeah, every artist has a different you know con- uh, conception of what goes on. So. Yeah, and I, I understand the temptation to do it, but you know, I really appreciate being able to go back at things and seeing how crappy they were in the beginning. I mean, I'd hate. I, I like going to my, the oldest dragon magazines that I have, uh, you know, uh, and and <laughs> looking at seeing, wormy. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love seeing the, the the. There's some really bad comics in the back. If you go back to like, dragon magazines back around 1980 or 81, there's some really lousy comics in the back. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, like, well, you're talking like Dragon Mirth. Uh huh. Yeah. It wasn't oh. exactly the best. Artwork on the planet, but forget the uh, artwork. The jokes it was funny were as heck. terrible. Well, I was going to say the jokes were terrible. <laughs> well, they were some like of them were total groaners, but that's great. You know, yeah. I want to see the old bad stuff. You know, I was I was um, tempted with my own magazine because we're going back and doing a retrospective. This is not a gaming magazine, so I won't go into it. But <laughs> we're doing a retrospective of some of the issues back around ninety one, ninety two, and. Going back through, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Are we really going to present it? Like, can I just fix the spelling? And people are like, no, just it's okay. <laughs> they need to see how we grew. Leave yeah. the bad spelling in. <laughs> and I kind of wish that this comic had done that because I'd like – or at least I'd, if anybody – I mean, Vince, if you find the old uh, comics anywhere, if they're available, I'd like to see what they originally looked like. Uh, I'll have to give them an email and see what they see if they still have them. I'm sure they still have to have them. Yeah, I'll, I'll I mean, I d- this artist is good. I mean, he yeah. really is, or she really is. Which I don't know which, but um, maybe it's just better for the current episodes. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Well, if you want to check them out, that's dndorks.com and slash comics, and you can check out their number one to the latest issue. It's about. Nine to ten years worth of comics in there, so you know it's one of those things you can start reading. Don't you know? Do it on your lunch break, like Jason said. <laughs> Tell us what you think, and get back to us. We'd like to hear it. Let's head into our last segment of the night of the vault, Blackstone's vault. Oh, I can't wait! We're finally gonna get sex in D and D. Only if I can. Oh, be... you right, right, you three. Only if I could be with Dixie from What's New. Okay, oh, okay let's not get into that. Let's go into the vault, guys. <laughs> okay. Blackstone's Vault. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Blackstone's Vault. I am your host, Blackstone. And this segment will be covering Module U3, The Final Enemy, the last in the U series of modules by Dave J. Brown and Don Turnbull. And the recommended levels are levels 3 to 5. Now basically with this module, it continues on from U1 and then U2. And for the synopsis of those, you can go back to the previous uh, segments of Blackstone's Vault. But basically the party has found out that the Sahuagin are the threat to the Lizardman and to the town of Saltmarsh. So the town council recommends forming the alliance, and while the alliance is trying to mass their numbers in one all-out attack on the Sahuagin, they recommend to send a reconnaissance to the Sahuagin stronghold to find out 
a few things. And the the recon party will be, of course, the player characters. Oceanus, the aquatic elf, if he's still there. Uh, the pseudo-dragon, if he's somehow attached himself emotionally to one of the player characters. Uh, six marines from Saltmarsh. And 14 lizardmen. A couple officers and some warriors. Now, their mission, if they choose to accept it, is to determine the strengths of the Sahuajin lair, the important areas, uh, major defenses, and also if they can find out what their plan of attack is. So basically, this reconnaissance and force, you know, requires some stealth involved. So that's the basic plot of this adventure. Now, some of the major NPCs. Again, you have Oceanus, the aquatic elf, the pseudo-dragon, uh, the lizard men, who are coming along on the reconnaissance, uh, the marines, they're from Saltmarsh, about six of those guys. And if they choose to do the over, uh, go by sea, uh, the crew of the ship, and hopefully they have the sea ghosts still available to them. And also you have the townsfolk, and you have the council, maybe any local lord or baron or what have you. So you have the town, the salt marsh itself. Now some of the major encounters, it's basically broken down either they're going to go by land or by sea to the island forest. Now, island, island fortress. Now if they go by land, there's a random encounter table, and there's, you know, just typical stuff that you would find in swamps. Uh, crocodiles, snakes, giant leeches, giant lizards, uh, a couple strange creatures. you got forks, uh, babblers, so you're going to need the fiend folio for those two monsters, if I remember correctly. You also have the possibility of encountering one uh, young adult black dragon. And uh, another NPC... Axel, and he's a ranger. Now, he will only be encountered if the lizard men aren't with the party. So, that's the only way they're going to encounter Axel the ranger. So, that's basically what goes on by land. Now, if they go by water, there are two major encounters. There's an octopus attack, which, when I, I ran this, uh, there was a thief that got caught in an octopus taffy pole, and he got he got killed. So you have an octopus attack, and also an Asahuajin attack. Basically, they're sending out a small reconnaissance party to the reconnaissance party and determine who they are and what they're up to. So you have the water encounters. And now you have the island fortress. And there's three levels to this fortress. Now, the first level, now I'm just going to go over the major encounters because it's a fairly big fortress. And the first level, you have slave pens. And one of these slave pens is a fifth-level magic user by the name of Elmo. Now, when they come across him, he's pretty much knocking on death's door. And if they were able to let him survive, he has some important info for the NPCs, which leads up to the next area, a secret treasure room. And in this secret treasure room, there are some magic items that are very useful to the party that will be for the next level if they if they get that far. So hopefully that information from Elmo will help them get to the treasure room. And there's also a hall that's being uh, uh, being manufactured by some slaves. Uh, there's a hobgoblin, some lizard man, and some orcs. And in this hall, there's some stairs that go down to level two, and they'll see about 
think about 10 and 20 feet down, there's a water line. And that's when the real adventure starts. The rest of the time, the next two levels are underwater. So level two, uh, again, underwater. So they're going to have to make major preparations. Uh, basically, lots of the quarters to many of the major Sahuagin, uh, like your the chieftain, the baron, the baroness. Uh, you have a hatchery that might come across. Also, the temple to the Sahuagin god Sakola. And when the NPC, when the PCs come across this temple, there's a sacrifice that's going to happen when they get there. And by the way, there's a shark there, if I remember correctly, a great white shark that's in this temple. So that could make a very interesting battle as well. There's also the throne room for the Baron. Uh, he's there and the chieftain and some elite guards and the Baroness quarters where the Baroness is there chewing out one of her maids when they come across the, the Baroness. So that's the second level. And then you have the third level which again is underwater. There's a lot of barracks for the Sahuagin warriors here. So there's many of those. There's a torture chamber where the PCs will come across a Locanthan named Borgus. They're able to rescue him. There's also the prison cells on this level where there's a Triton by the name of Kish and his sea lion pet they might be able to rescue. Um, also there's a giant eel that's found dead in one of these sail, uh, cells. And that was one, uh, Borgus's pet. And Borgus, once he finds this out, will become a major ally to the players. In fact, he'll want revenge. So the, the amount of allies keep on piling up. Uh, eventually, you might come across the treasure room on this level, major treasure room. In this treasure room, there's a horn of the Tritons, uh, which is... Uh, Kish is. Uh, Kish gets that back. That's going to be a major uh, benefit to the party because he's able to use that, I believe, multiple times a day since he is a Triton. There's also an arena, which uh, is a fairly large area. And then there's the drill hall, which I'm going to tell you right now, for the Sahuagin that are in there, there's 68 of them. So... If best the players do not uh, just you know kind of go by the drill hall if they can. So those are the major encounter areas. Okay, let's get on to what is probably the good stuff of this. Here's incredible detail to this module. This module is around 46 pages, so it's chock full of information. You have a page just about the mission. You have three pages on the overland journey. Two pages of just on the fortress layout alone. And there's a page on underwater adventuring, really helpful to the DM. So just on that alone, a lot of information for you to help run this adventure. Also, I think another uh, good thing about this module, it poses two major challenges to the PCs. One is the reconnaissance and force that they're going to have. For the PCs for, to succeed, stealth is the key. They must remain stealthy as possible. Stick to the mission, and they should survive. And then you have an alien environment that they're going to be in. I mean, they're going to be in water. There's a lot of uh, preparations that are going to be needed for underwater adventuring. 
maybe certain spells, magic items, um, certain types of gear might not work so well. Your your combat combat's going to be limited, so a different alien environment's going to pose a major challenge. Now, some of the not so good stuff, and this is kind of minor quibbles in my opinion. Again, there's no detail to the town of Salt Marsh. Again, I think that's a minor detail, and any DM could take care of that. Uh, also, there's no names for the Sahuajin, at least the major leaders. And that could be easily remedied as well. Add whatever kind of weird names in one. And what could be considered not so good is this can be a killer advent- adventure if the player characters do not stick to the mission of remaining stealthy. Just a, a note for all you DMs, for this adventure, there are over 200 Sahuajin in the lair. That's well, a lot. Uh, so that's some of the not-so-good stuff, at least minor, not-so-good stuff right there. Uh, opinions, at least how I ran this one, uh, to make it a little more interesting, besides just encountering Sahuajin after Sahuajin, I added some quote-unquote allies to the, for the Sahuajin. Uh, I added some aquatic trolls, some aquatic ogres, just to, you know, kind of like cannon fodder for the Sahuajin, if you will. I thought that was kind of, made it kind of interesting. The players seemed to have thought that was kind of cool. And I also added some deep ones, if you're familiar with Call of Cthulhu. And I was able to have the deities and demigods, the first edition of that, to add the deep ones. Again, just like I mentioned in previous uh, segments, I combined this module with Module L1, Secret of Bone Hill, which made it great, in my opinion. And all in all, I think this is the best of the three modules. This one ran really well. Uh, it has a little bit of everything in there. A little bit of combat, a little bit of NPC, PC interaction. So has everything there for, for whatever kind of player that you may have. Um, you can find this module on eBay from anywhere from a buck seventy-five starting bid up to thirty-two dollars. So it can be found there on eBay. So that's it in a nutshell on U3, the final enemy. I think it's the best of the three modules. I think you have a blast with this in the whole series. I think it'd be a real awesome kickoff to a wonderful campaign. Uh, my next module I'll be covering, I'm not so sure yet, but I have a lot of them to to choose from so until then this is blackstone signing off saying may all your hits be crits well that's going to wrap up our show for tonight guys oh so soon yeah so (laughs) soon good show it was really fun tonight yeah, so I'm looking forward. Hopefully uh, next week we'll be having some stuff from GaryCon. Actually, while this show was going on, we got an email in from one of the guys over at Dead Games Society, which, mm-hmm. by the way, big shout-out to Dead Games Society in Chicago, which is a great bunch of guys that are keeping all the old games alive, whether it's Top Secret, Gamma World, Boot Hill, you name it. Nice. Uh, and AD&D, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we got an email from him while the show was going on letting us know that uh, – uh, in fact, there was somebody there doing a little interview with them, and so maybe we'll have some things to talk about from uh, GaryCon next week. Oh, very cool. And we have a voicemail that we want to play on next episode. We just got recently, too, so we'll throw that out as well. Mm-hmm. Throw, or throw it in. Uh, I meant, yeah, throw it in. <laughs> 
Uh, so next week on the plate, we'll have some fun things. I'm not going to tell you anything, but a little teaser. We're going to go over another webcomic, and I'm going to surprise the two of you guys. It's called Roll for Initiative. Oh, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Roll for Initiative, the comic strip, so. It's not about us. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> no, I that would be cool. No, actually, it, it's. It, I think it's a defunct comic now. Uh, the writer has stopped writing and drawing, but it had gone on for about a couple of years. And I just recently found it, and I've been talking to her. She's pretty cool. So I told her we'd talk about it a little bit, since it's our same name as us. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Might well, I know what to Google between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, you know, get in contact with us, rfipodcast.com, to go to the website, listen to the shows, and subscribe on iTunes. The more you subscribe on iTunes, the higher we get up there. So leave us a review, too. Yeah, tell your friends. Yeah, grab your friends, torture them, put them down, take the paladin, <laughs> slap them around. You know. Tell your enemies. Yeah, tell your enemies. Write us a review. A five-star review will get you your name on the podcast said out loud. How would you like that? Well, and that a one-star review will get you... A visit from Vince. No, it will not. He's not a paladin. Look out. <laughs> Jason will come over to your house and slap you around. We'll send we'll send a puppet golem to your house. How about that? We'll send the one from... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to wrap everything up. Keep it original. Keep it old school. I'm DM Vince signing off. Later, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.